Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and this is my wife, Katie, joining me here this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an off-site campus, wherever you may be. We are glad that you made the decision to join us and worship with us today. Can you believe we are inside of two hands? That is 10 days until Christmas in our house. Anytime we get within two hands and the kids can count it down on their fingers, the (laughs) excitement builds, the anticipation builds, and while our kids are saying, 10 days, nine days, counting it down as parents. We got a little bit sto- different story going on. We're going, oh my, 10 days, 10 more days <laughs> nine days. Day. Like, Gosh. when is the last day I can overnight something here? Because I don't even know what that kid wants for Christmas. <laughs> we got to do something. So true. Isn't Christmas the most wonderful time of the year, but also the most intense, right? We have our normal life hustle that we have all the time. Then we add to it parties and decorations and Christmas presents. You know, it can just be such a wonderful but also stressful time. And it's been no different over in Team Walters, except for this year we got an extra special gift this Christmas because my sweet husband, your pastor over here who likes to remind me that Jesus was also a carpenter, decided it was time for us to move again and fix up another house. So yes, we closed yesterday, as in like all of our stuff packed up and out of our house yesterday, God's, God's December timing 14th. Is perfect. That's all I'll say. To that. So it's been real, real <laughs> special. And truly there's been like, there really has been a lot of blessings in it. Too many to complain, but I, I did find a couple of ways to complain, you know, like any good wife would. And um, one night we were in an argument and it's really been like our only argument. Pretty, I'm claiming that. Our Ish. only fight this whole time, and we still have a little bit of a ways to go, so we're just going to say it was, it was, we're going to have one fight the whole time. But he started to tell me, I said, okay, so babe, how many days are you going to take off work to help me pack up this house, aka Noah's Ark, like six kids, two dogs. You know, how much days off work are you going to take to help me? And he was like, yeah, I think I can get it done on like Tuesday and Thursday. I was it like, seemed about right. Yeah. I surveyed. I'm not, I'm not thinking <laughs> that's enough time. But I just kind of was like, okay. Okay, so as we're talking about it, he was like, ooh, but actually on Tuesday all day, I'm going to have to work outside all day on our trim because we have a bunch of wood rot, so that's going to take up that whole day. Well, literally fire filled like every cell of my body. And I just started in on like that good rage that just comes out good, and you're good just rage. screaming. Yeah, it it like has to come out every now and then. All the women know. And so I just start yelling. I'm like, you're telling me that you're only going to (laughs) take off two days to help me pack up this entire house. And then one of those days, you're going to spend fixing the, and I'm trying to say the word wood rot right here, but instead I'm screaming and I'm like, fixing the wood what? 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 About that time I kind of turned my head sideways like, what? It's like, like, it finally happened. God got hold of her tongue. And this is what... (laughs) This is what happens, right? It was terrible and kind of good because it made yeah. us stop the argument and start dying laughing. And when she said it made us stop the argument, she means it made her stop the argument. I wasn't actively okay, participating okay. <laughs> either way. This has nothing to do with the message, but we did want to offer it to you because chances are you may find yourself having some intense fellowship with your significant other over the next week. And instead of letting the fire rage, you could throw a bucket of water on it by looking at them, tilting your head a little bit and saying, would what? 
Would what? <laughs> it might work for you, okay? It's so true. That's for free. Because we all carry this normal stress and frustration of the holidays. But what about if the season feels a little bit different? You know, for many of us in this room, there is other things that we're carrying into this season. There are other places, points of pain in our life that just like I said, Christmas feels more intense, those emotions can feel more intense too. And you know, this series that we've been looking at today, we're gonna look at a life of a woman who has experienced a good deal of pain in her life. And we just really believe that God has a word to encourage all of us this morning, no matter where we find ourselves along our journey, because we know that we have either come from a season of pain we're in one or we're going into one, right? That he wants to encourage us to grow through that pain. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Bearing Christmas. And it sounds a little bit like it could be a series about surviving the holidays, which some of you might say I could benefit from that message as well. But it's actually a series based off Matthew chapter one, where we've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus. In that, there's 42 men um, referenced and four women, which is unique, especially in that culture. And so we've been taking some time to look at, okay, what is so unique? to these women's lives? What can we learn from them that God saw fit to include them in the genealogy of Jesus? In week one, Pastor Josh and Lisa talked with us about Rahab. Last week, Pastor Darren talked with us about Ruth. And this week, you will hear more about in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanna take just a minute and pray for us. And also wanna pray for our offering today. You know, we've been talking about a year in gift. A lot of folks have been praying about how God might be calling them to get involved. And so we just wanna bring that before the Lord as a family that he would bless all the offerings that come in today. So let's take a minute and pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I praise you, God, for this time of year where there's just excitement and anticipation, all of which is focused on the day where as individual families, as a church family, where we celebrate the birth of your son. God, I pray that in all the hustle and runaround of Christmas that you would just be steadily drawing our eyes and hearts back to that, that we might not miss you personally this Christmas. I pray over this day, God, for the preaching of your word, that it would not return void in our lives. For all the offerings that are gonna come in, God, we just speak into and pray for immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. So hey, I've got a question for you as we get started. It's gonna involve a little bit of crowd participation here. How many of you either are named or have a friend named Sarah? Anybody? Okay, so hands up all over the room. What about have a friend or you are named Mary? Anybody? Hands going up at the campuses too. What about Deborah? Deborah? All right, last one. What about Bathsheba? Any? <laughs> No love. I don't believe you. (laughs) Nobody. Exactly. So for any of you who might have grown up in the church, uh, Bathsheba has kind of been coined as this bad girl of the Bible. But in a lot of ways, she has been misrepresented. Her story, if you were to read through 2 Samuel or Kings or there in in Matthew chapter 1, is that she's a woman who was taken advantage of sexually. Her husband was murdered. Uh, Her newborn child died. She remarries, goes on to have another child. That child would grow up to be the king of Israel, which would ultimately land her to be in the genealogy of Jesus. But her story reads more like one that you'd find on a Dateline special edition. And in a lot of our minds, especially if you grew up reading of her or knowing of her, she's been misrepresented in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, and the great thing about God's word, this living word, is that one, he, do, he the, the characters that we see in the Bible, they are just like us. They've been through a lot of hurt, trials, pain, and he doesn't spare us the details of that. He lets us see it, and, and then especially in Bathsheba's life, you know, we get to see her life in entirety because we start to meet her in 2 Samuel, but we actually get to see the end of her life in 2 Kings. And so today we're gonna look at three points of pain along her journey and the ways that we believe God tried to grow her through those points of pain. So wherever you find yourself this morning, you know, all three of these might not hit specific to you, but I do believe God has a word, an encouraging word for you, for someone you know that might be carrying these points of pain into this season. So we start there on the outline with three lessons we learned from Bathsheba on growing through pain. And the first is this. When you are taken advantage of, focus on what you can control instead of what is trying to control you. Focus on what you can control. You know, we start with this point of her story, her being taken advantage of, just like Josh said um, at the start of her story, because this is the first time we meet her. And in 2 Samuel, God gives us the details of, the, of her account, because just like we said, she has been misrepresented. We wanna make sure from this story that God shows us that there was really no blame on her part in this instance. So we start in 2 Samuel like this. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he laid with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So we see here at the start of Bathsheba's story that this is an example of a king, King David, a man in power. We know earlier in 2 Samuel that he was actually supposed to be at war with his soldiers, but he stayed home. So as he looks out over the entire city, he sees a woman bathing, doing a very ordinary practice in that culture. He sends messengers and he takes her. So she, this is an obvious story of her being taken advantage of. And I believe God gives us the details for that because he knows that in a room this size, there are people that have also experienced that kind of pain. You know, not all of us have an example of being taken advantage of sexually, but we all have an example of being taken advantage of. And I believe God wants us to know this morning that he sees that pain. Nothing goes without him seeing it, and he grieves over that. You know, we see later in 2 Samuel at the end of verse 27 that it says, but the thing that David has done displeased the Lord. Not the thing that David and Bathsheba had done, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. If that has been you, if you have been in a victim of that point of pain, God wants you to know that there is no shame involved for you in that. It displeases the heart of God. Somebody that's supposed to protect you, look out for you, but instead uses you to meet their own needs. That is not the heart of our God. He tells us to treat each other like brothers and sisters for a reason. But in saying that, the second part of the point says this. We have to focus on what we can control, not what is trying to control us. And the only way that we grow through a pain, a painful situation in our lives that's happened like that, is we have to focus on what we can control. And you know, oftentimes when somebody has taken advantage of you, there's actually a first taking, but there's also a second taking. 
So the first taking happens with King David, right? With what he does to Bathsheba. But then there becomes this second taking, the point where we have an enemy, where he comes to try to continually rob and steal from us. He wants to tell you things about your purpose, your hope, your destiny, God's future, what God says about you as his daughter, as his son. You have an enemy that wants to continually take from you. The second taking. Yeah, the, the example that comes to mind there is of residual income. Have you ever heard of that? It's where I've if heard you... of residual income, but I haven't experienced it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I can't wink. wink Thanks wink. for that. <laughs> We're working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> but where if you, I've heard it if you wrote a book or a, write a song, I've heard it used with, with real estate, but after an initial investment where you continue to earn income long after the initial investment. I think this is part of the enemy's strategy to bring about residual pain in our life, that after the initial taking, something that might have happened long ago, that months and years into the future, he could continue to bring you back to lies that you might have believed about yourself or ways that you see yourself based on something that happened to you, ultimately to keep you from becoming the man or woman of God that he's created you to be. Yeah, so how do we do that? How do we focus on what we can control? Well, God tells us in 2 Corinthians, it's there on your outline, this verse that becomes so powerful to us. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, when something like this happens in our life, when there's a point of taking, and then we talk about a second taking, when the enemy comes to start to whisper things in our ear about who we are, we have to fight we have to fight this battle by bringing things to the light, by bringing things up against the light of God's word. You know, in the story of Bathsheba, we see that she went and told, she had the courage to tell David, I'm pregnant, I have conceived. And oftentimes, conception happens, right, in the physical, but it can also happen in the spiritual. We start to conceive these things in our mind about who we are, the love that we deserve, the love that we don't deserve. And we have to fight that battle by bringing these things to the light. So for some of us today, if this is a point of pain that you're just feeling stuck in, you're not feeling like you're able to grow through it, God wants you to bring it to the light. This is our safe place, right? Our church family, to bring this to a small group member, prayer team, someone here in the church, to be able to say, this point of pain has happened to me. But then there's a second war that we have to do, where we have to actually take these lies that we're believing and bring them up against the word of God, the truth of what God says about us. You know, not all of us have experienced a physical taking advantage of, but all of us have been taken advantage of. We've all experienced things like that. And a couple months ago, I just was really struggling, feeling this, these feelings of being taken advantage of. And I felt like the enemy was just trying to wage war on me. And so God had me write down every single lie that I was believing about myself, about who he says I am. And then on the opposite side of my journal, he had me write down every single truth that scripture tells me about who I am, who he says I am, and who, what he sees in my life. And so that's part of the way that we have to fight this battle. Yeah, and that's a really helpful practice just personally to help you guard your heart and really sift through your thoughts and minds. But if you're anything like me, whenever I've been taken advantage of, my first thought isn't I should go to my journal. Usually my first thought is I wanna punch him in the face. Does anybody <laughs> relate to that when feeling? When we sing, this is <laughs> how so, I fight my thank battles. You. You're like, 
you're seeing like a war scene play out. What are you seeing play out? <laughs> I mean, I'm seeing God, I don't know, angels like wiping your tears. Yeah, I definitely don't yeah. see that. <laughs> <laughs> I see warrior God, come gladiator God smashing my Heads, enemies, like right? rolling. And so, no, seriously, when you're, when you're just fired up, when you've been taken advantage of, how do you process that anger? What do you do with that to help you focus on what you can control? One of my favorite verses that speaks to that is Romans 12, 19. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. And what I love about that is anytime I've been taken advantage of, I could very well try to go and avenge myself, try to bring about justice, and it would be sweet and momentary, right? It may or may not be successful. It might feel good to me just for a moment, but if I will trust it to God, if I will obey his word, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. One of two things could happen. One, he could bring about change in that person's life in the same way that he transformed mine, or I can trust him ultimately to bring about justice. And man, his will be so much sweeter. It will be lasting, it will be effective. And so in the times that you've been taken advantage of, don't try to take it into your own hands. Don't try to right the wrong. Focus on what you can control. Don't keep it in the darkness. Confess it, bring it to the light so that you would be free from it. And then wage war against yourself. Take your thoughts captive. Don't believe the lies in your head. So number one, when you've been taken advantage of, focus on what you can control instead of what's trying to control you. The second lesson we learn from Bathsheba on growing through pain is this. When you experience loss, grieve, but remember, it's not the end of the story. Okay. Remember, it's not the end of the story. Over the last couple of weeks, We've been slowly kind of packing up the house, and part of that has been decluttering. I kind of feel like we're already relatively minimalist, but we've been going through Not drawers. a chance. We're minimalist, by the way. Ish. Six kids, two dogs. Kind of minimalist. We're trying. We'll try. <laughs> anyway, we've been clearing out drawers, you know, any sock that doesn't have a match, any shoe we can't find the second one of, papers, envelopes, like just trying to get rid of as much as we can. So the other night, I was talking to a guy on the phone about hardwood flooring, and we're getting real nuanced into like knots and thickness and talk, trying to match up flooring in the, in the new house. And while I'm going through some papers, I'm holding the phone on my ear, and I find this envelope that has my name on it. And so as he's talking to me, I kind of whip out this letter, and after reading the first two lines of it, I realize it's a letter from my dad. And uh, he passed away a year ago this week, and I don't know where the letter came from. I don't remember him ever giving it to me, but it's the first time since his passing that it's almost as if I could hear his voice reading it to me. I could hear his personality and, and humor in it right as I started reading, and so I just start bawling. And so I kind of turn the phone up, and I knew Katie was upstairs, and I walk upstairs, and I hand her this letter, and I'm trying Which to say... Which is terrifying, by the way, when your husband comes to you with a mail letter, and they're crying. I was like, oh my gosh, they're coming for us. Yeah. <laughs> whoever, <laughs> whoever they are. <laughs> whoever they are, they're after us. They're going to get us, right? This is not good news. But for two people that are like typically very positive, you know, see the silver lining, happy-go-lucky kind of folks, over the course of the last year with my dad's passing, grief has very much made a home, you know, within our, our family. It is not uncommon on any given night for Katie or I or any one of the kids to get unexpectedly emotional. We're talking about flooring, we're eating spaghetti, we're cleaning, something happens, and all of a sudden we're in a tender spot. And all of us knowing that this day was coming, December 22nd is what we've, we've called Peepaw Day, 
and uh, we're gonna go and do ridiculous things because they're the kind of things dad used to do, spend way too much money on the kids and take them to have fun experiences. So we're gonna have a special day, but kind of leading up to that day, we've been sensing this feeling of grief. Well, last month while uh, my mom went to pick up her mom, Granny Ballard, for any of you who follow uh, Katie on social media, she's always posting pictures of Granny B because she's just this hilarious, 93-year-old, sharp woman. Her favorite two shows, just to give you some context, are Professional Wrestling and The Bachelor. I don't know what <laughs> they have in common. Yeah, we, we bonded over one of those. I'll let you guess yeah. which one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which so, one it was. just such a sweet lady in good health, and mom went to pick her up, and as they were driving back to Charleston, Granny passed away in the car, right, as they were pulling into Charleston. Unexpected, healthy, and so totally different kind of passing because she's lived a long full life, but just these waves of grief with my dad's passing, now granny's passing in a season where we've already kind of been at this place. This is much of what Bathsheba was walking through. After having been taken advantage of by King David, King David tries to call Uriah home from battle in hopes that he'll sleep with his wife and he can pass this whole thing off as if it was Uriah's child. But Uriah, knowing that all of his soldiers were out at war, he wasn't gonna have pleasure for himself. And so he refused to sleep in the home with Bathsheba. So when David realized that this plan wasn't gonna work out, he sends Uriah back to the battle line with a letter to give to his commander, saying, hey, put Uriah at the front of the battle line and then withdraw the men so that he will die. And that's exactly what happens. So we see here in 2 Samuel 11, it says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done has displeased the Lord. So she's grieving over the loss of her husband. Well, then now this child that she conceived with King David, because God was displeased with the thing that David has done, the consequence of his sin would be the loss of this child. So now after carrying the child for nine months, the Bible tells us there on the back of your outline that seven days after the child is born, he dies. So in grieving over her husband, then giving birth and having to grieve over the loss of this child, it's just like these waves of grief keep coming upon her. And this was true for Bathsheba, but it's true for us too. You know, loss is something that we all can empathize with. It's a point of pain that we've all experienced. You know, I'll never forget last year, Christmas Eve, it was just several days after Josh's dad had passed, coming to this Christmas Eve service. And I needed this Christmas Eve service, but it was so painful because loss and grief produce these waves and feelings of deep loneliness. And it doesn't have to just be over the loss of a loved one. There's other losses too. You know, I really believe that God started to kind of work our grieving muscles in the moments of our marriage trial, which we've shared about here before. But 10 years ago, when we got to this church, we were so busted and broken. I had been in a pit of sin. I didn't know if I loved Josh anymore. And we were experiencing deep loss. Josh was experiencing the loss of a ministry and a life that he had imagined. I, if you've ever had a moral failure, you know that there's deep loss there because you realize for the first time, gosh, I'm capable of hurting the people I love more than anything. And there's pain that comes from that. There's other losses too. If any of you have been diagnosed with a health diagnosis, that there's so many losses in that. There's the loss that, wow, I didn't think this was gonna happen to me or someone in my family and then all the steps that you have to walk through. The loss of moving to a new place, a job, all these things that we just carry around as points of pain. But God wants us to be able to grow through those things. 
And you know, he is a God that grieves with us. He doesn't want us to stuff those feelings or not feel it, but as difficult as this past year has been for us, as many tears as there have been shed, God has been more faithful. It is true that he is close to the brokenhearted. And I love the second part of that point on your outline. It says this, but remember, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. We have to grieve like a people with hope. You know, even for our marriage trial, I feel like just a small glimpse of what is to come in heaven, that it's not the end of the story. The fact that 10 years later, we could be in the sweetest season and have such a healthy, strong marriage is my favorite thing in my life, is my marriage. And that is only a work of God. It's not the end of the story for us, no matter where we find ourselves in points of of grief or loss. Yeah, that night as we were going to bed, uh, reading that letter kind of sent me down this path of like, wish I woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of thoughts, just feelings of regret. And I had, uh, Dad and I had always talked about going on this fishing trip. Neither of us are fishermen by any means, but there's something about this like vision of a father-son fishing trip, like prolonged hours sitting on a boat of quietness and finding the courage to kind of ask some questions or share some things you always wish you would have. And it's just like, man, babe, I just hate that we never actually made that fishing trip happen. And she said, you know what? You're gonna have all of eternity to go fishing with your dad and catch some monster fish. And I was just like, you know what? I know that, I know that in my grief, that's not the end of the story, but oftentimes in our pain, we turn inward and isolate. And the things that I know and believe, I can fail to process. And she said, the greatest way that you can honor your dad is now by taking your boys fishing, you know, to give them the opportunity to have some of those experiences and conversations that you long to have with, uh, with your dad. So no, grief is going to be a part of our story, whether you are in it now or you've yet to walk through it. It's important for you to know God grieves with you. And when you experience loss of any kind, grieve, but be faithful to preach to yourself that it is not the end of the story. The last lesson we learned from Bathsheba there on the back of your outline is when you've been overlooked, remind yourself most of the rewards are not passed out here. Remind yourself, most of the rewards are not passed out here. You know, we probably all have a story about being overlooked. I think especially us parents on Christmas morning, they start ripping open those presents and you're like, "Uh, hello, me, thank you. You know, we all have these stories of being overlooked. But I think about the one um, major one that comes to mind for me is the first missions trip that I led here at Seacoast to Nicaragua. And you know, I, my background's in counseling and I had led a team here called Encouragers and we had prepared this content to train up a group of lay counselors. And as soon as we had all the content ready, I have such a heart and passion for missions, and I couldn't wait to take this content to Nicaragua. We were going to bring in all the pastors and their wives, and we were going to train them to also be encouragers, to have this model and to do counseling. And right before the trip was about to, um, to go, we had a couple of spots open. And so there was a guy on staff named Frank, and I was like, you love missions. You should come with us. He didn't know anything about counseling or the encouragers model, but he was like, sure, I'll go. And because he was on staff, the church made him my co-leader, which was so helpful because he has administrative gifts and he kind of coordinated all the logistics. But I just thought it won't really matter that he doesn't know the content because he's just going to learn it as we go with all the other pastors there. So we get there to Nicaragua, and I remember the first day, I was so nervous. I just wanted to make sure this content translated and they could hear me. And so I put my stuff down like at the head of the table. And it wasn't like minutes later that the lead team came and they took my little book bag and they moved it to the back of the table. And I was like, they were like, you, you can't sit here. I went to the bathroom and I was like, oh God, 
I did the thing you told me not to do. I put myself at the head of the table, and then you demoted me. I'm so sorry. You know, I just was already, like, so worried and sad about it. Well, we got up to lead the first session, and now the plan was a week of this, three sessions a day of this content. So we got up to do the first session. I had forgotten about the kind of machismo culture of Nicaragua that's very men-led and men-centered. So every session, the lead team would stand up, and they would say, and now... We would like to pass the microphone to Frank to teach us the content. I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, she doesn't know any of it. Well, thankfully, every single time, Frank would stand up and say, thank you. I would like to take this moment to pass it to Katie Walters. <laughs> every single time. I thought, Frank, I just am so thankful he wasn't a lesser man and didn't try to like wing it, you know, or something like that. And so he would pass it to me. And, you know, that's a silly story of being overlooked, but there are real points of pain in our life from things like that, right? Some of us have whole seasons where we feel like we were overlooked. And Bathsheba's story is no different. This is definitely a story of a woman who was overlooked. I mean, even in the genealogy of Jesus, there on your outline in Matthew 1, it says, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So for all other women in the genealogy, we got to hear about Rahab, Ruth, Mary will be named, but not Bathsheba. And throughout her story, this is true. It says the wife of Uriah. And I feel like God wants us to know that when there are times when you have been overlooked, we have to remember that there's always a bigger story happening. You know, I think some of the reasons that God might have put the wife of Uriah, one, was to remind us of David's sin, to remind us that this man of God, a man after God's own heart, could also fail. He could also have a moral failure, be, fail and be restored back to God, but God wants him to remember that sin that he went through. It could also be that God wants to honor Uriah, right? Uriah was her husband. If there's anyone in this story who was massively overlooked, it was him, right? A pure man of God who was trying to complete a mission who was murdered in the process. God might have been wanting to honor Uriah. And the same is true in our lives. If you're finding yourself in a season where you're just feeling overlooked, I don't feel like they see me or they see my gifts or they see all that I'm contributing. Remember, you have a God that sees. Every single thing is seen by him and not all the rewards are passed out here. Not all the rewards are passed out here. We have some rewards coming to us, and, but from a God that sees every single point of our life. Yeah, when we had decided that this weekend was gonna be about Bathsheba, we kinda went back through her story, and I was like, all right, I wanna get to know this lady. So we just started reading through 2 Samuel and Kings, and I'm kinda reading through her story through her eyes. And honestly, as you read through 2 Samuel especially, it sounds a lot more like Uriah's story, King David's story, Nathan the prophet's story, than it sounds like Bathsheba's story. It's almost like she's a secondary character in her own story. And so I couldn't help but see like, man, even in the lineage of Jesus, her name isn't even mentioned. And so I feel like in so many ways, it speaks to this need on our desire to be recognized, to be affirmed, to not be overlooked. I noticed this week, even in working on the woodwatt that Katie talked about, I spent so much time repairing something only to finish it and it look exactly the same way it did before I started. And I was so proud of it. This time it wasn't rotten wood, but I just kind of realized like, nobody's ever gonna see all this hard work I just put into this. And so fortunately, I have a wife and so I paraded her out and said, hey, <laughs> Look at what I just did. <laughs> I was proud. I was like, proud. Somebody be proud of this, right? 
But all too often in life, we can give ourselves to something and feel like it goes unappreciated, that we were overlooked, that we don't get the promotion that we feel like we deserved. We don't get acknowledged or affirmed for something that we, that we worked so hard to do. So practically speaking, what does it look like for us to be encouraged by that, remembering that most of the rewards are not passed out here. And one of my favorite passages that speaks to that is Colossians 3, 23 and 24, there on your outline. It says, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. Whatever you do, if you're a business owner, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, a doctor, a truck driver, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. That means don't mail it in, don't be casual about it, don't just ride on your skills and gifting, but show up bringing your absolute best. Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, all too often in the moments that I feel overlooked, I act as if I don't know that truth, that God sees everything that I do in public and private, that in the moments that I don't feel acknowledged or affirmed, the moments that I feel overlooked, I have a God who sees every deed done, right, that I will receive an inheritance from. So whatever it might be, work at it with all of your heart. Show up and bring your best, knowing that you're gonna receive blessing. There's gonna be good that comes to you, even if it's from him and not from man. So where do you find yourself this morning? Is there a point of pain that God wants to encourage you to grow through? Has there been a time where you've been taken advantage of and he wants you to know that there are some things that you can control? Do you find yourself in a point of loss or grief where he wants you to know that it's not the end of the story? Or if you're in a season of feeling overlooked to remember that not all the rewards are passed out here. You know, I think about growing through pain. The first thing that comes to mind is baby day. Have any of you ever been around a woman who's just given birth in the hospital, your niece, your nephew, a baby that's been born? You know, we call that day in our family baby day. And we say, baby day is the best day. Because you know, we know what is about to happen. There's gonna be pain involved. There's things to be worried or anxious about. Actually, statistics say that it's the most dangerous thing that American woman will do in her lifetime. But the payoff, the prize of holding that baby, it makes all the pain so worth it. It feels so momentary, so fleeting. You're holding that baby and you don't even remember the pain that you've just gone through. You don't even remember the pain to come, the sleepless nights, the discipline, all you're doing is adoring that baby because you've just been a part of something so much bigger than yourself, a sacred moment that God has done this. And you know, that is the God that we serve. This God of love that chose to come into our world in that way. Christmas means salvation. He came for us. He came in the most vulnerable and painful way. And then he lived a life that was not free of pain. He experienced every single point on the journey that we will ever go through so that he could empathize with us. And then he went out of this world on Calvary in pain for us. That is the God of love that we have. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, if it is in a tender, vulnerable place of pain, know that you have a God that came down, love that came down. He is close to the brokenhearted. He weeps with those who mourn. He wants to come and be with us this Christmas. And you know what is true for all of us is that we have a day coming 
We have a day coming that is better than any baby day we could ever imagine. We have a day coming where every tear will be wiped away. Every single bit of pain, every longing in our heart will be gone because of the joy set before us. That is our God of love. And that is what we celebrate this Christmas season. Yeah, Psalm 34, 18 says that he draws close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. That means the pain that might be visible to those around you. If you're experiencing loss, grief of some kind, if you've been overlooked or taken advantage of, you know, there's pain that we carry that's visible to people, and at times there's pain that we carry that no one sees. But as the God who knits you together, you need to know that in any pain that you experience, he's a God who draws close. So today as we close here in Mount Pleasant and across all of our campuses, I'd love to invite you to just bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a minute. You know, this morning as... Asher woke up, today's his birthday, and he woke up today with a, with a headache. And uh, so man, knowing he was hurting, we were quick to get him some Tylenol, get him a little rag. And for any of you in any pain that you might be experiencing today, his word is true, and he draws close to you in your pain. And so what I would love to invite you to do here and across all the campuses is if you're stepping into this season carrying any pain, feeling pain, would you just raise your hand for me? as a sign of faith to God. It's like, I just wanna acknowledge where my heart's at. I wanna acknowledge how I'm feeling and I raise my hand in faith that you're gonna draw close to me to comfort me, to bring about healing, to bring about relief. God, I pray over every hand that's raised today that they're raised in faith, that you are a God who draws close to us in our pain. You comfort those who are crushed in spirit. And so I just pray right now what the enemy has meant for evil. Any pain that you uh, have, have allowed to come into their life, that it would serve as a catalyst for growth, that it would allow them to grow into and become the men and women that you have created them to be, and that they would experience you in their pain. God, that they would get on the other side of it and have a testimony of a God who drew close, who comfort, who encouraged. So God, I just pray peace over them, pray comfort, just supernatural healing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.